book of Titus, chapter 3. <coughs> and we are sort of looking over the shoulder of Titus as he is reading and trying to digest this letter written to him by the Apostle Paul. We're going to be focusing on verses 9 through 15. We will not cover all of those, but we will continue on from where we were before as we kind of travel through God's word. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Dear Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for your spirit that works in our midst, in our hearts, that takes your precious word and opens it to us. I pray that that will happen this morning. So whether we be here in the Fletcher area or whether we be scattered there through the university or the system or wherever the this uh, internet connection will go, I pray that you will use this in our lives, that you will have free reign in us and you would accomplish your work that Jesus Christ will be the one that is exalted and uplifted and magnified today. I pray that you will use these things in our lives so that we too might be instruments that ultimately will glorify him. I ask this in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. While we were talking about prayer requests and they were requesting <coughs> a prayer requests for me, and I mentioned something about uh, um, breakfast and not getting breakfast. I don't want you to misunderstand. I was just being funny. Um, I don't take it lightly. I do appreciate your prayers. I do. And uh, there is always a risk when you go into surgery. The nice thing is that we have a shepherd. We're talking about him on Sunday morning. And he oversees these things. And he works to kind of keep our feet to the fire and our hearts aimed in the right direction. And I'm very thankful for that. I've been thinking about that recently as I've been facing the possibility of surgery. And God is just really good to us and uh, taking care of us. And so I want to mention that. We are looking at this passage and we're going through these verses and we're I'm kind of taking a little bit of liberty in that we read through and I'm just trying to understand the verse and then I try to enlarge that to find a parallel that we can apply as a church functions, as believers function in our society. And that's what we've been doing. We've looked at the, the first passage, verse 9 through 11. Uh, and in that we saw Paul writing Titus telling him to avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. And I, after we looked at what that was talking about specifically, we, at least I tried to make the point that the church is in a in a warfare, there is a battle going on, there is a conflict going on that we deal with the subject of truth, and uh, it's really, really important. I was thinking of Dr. J. Adams, who uh, many of you know is very significant in the church, had a great influence, and still has a mighty influence with his books on how the church can counsel people from the Word of God rather than using secular means, which actually don't change the psychic or change the heart. And uh, one of the things that he pointed out that I thought was very interesting is this, 
he said that in your morning service in church, uh, if uh, somebody stands up to pray or open in prayer and people are coming in late, they always or usually stop and wait for the person who's praying to finish his prayer, and then they will come on in and quietly sit down. But if the people are coming in late and the pastor stands up and he's reading from God's word, they usually continue on down quietly and then slip into the seats quietly. And Dr. Adams said, now, actually, that's backwards. We show more respect for men when they are talking to God in prayer than we do for God when he's speaking to us as his word is being written. And uh, that is very true. When you read, when you read the scripture, God is speaking. And whether you are listening or not, and, and I will have to say in my quiet time in the morning, many times my mind is wandering and I have read countless times passages of scripture. And then after I have read it, sat there and asked myself the question, what did I just read? My mind was wandering. I was thinking about the ribeye steak that I was going to be getting out of the refrigerator and cooking it for lunch. Or I was going to be thinking about that I got to go down to the hospital and do some work there or something like that. And my mind is wandering. Maybe you know what that's like. And uh, one of the things that's important is to discipline your mind so that when people are speaking or when God is speaking or when the preacher is speaking, that you listen and try to concentrate on what's being said because the Lord can use these things in our lives and we want to profit from it. And so in this passage here, we looked at that and we just looked at the fact that there is conflict going on in the church. The second passage of scripture that we looked at in out of that text um, it was beginning in verse uh, 12 where Paul writes to Titus and he says, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there, diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And basically after we looked at the fact that Paul is asking uh, Titus here, that when his work is relieved by these two people, Artemis and Tychicus, that he might come to Paul and spend some time with him. Paul planned to, plans to winter there. After that, we said we talked about the cooperation that exists in the church and how we function within the church and we help each other and we are on the same team. I think I shared with you John Allen with the Gideons has thanked me many times for the church and for our support of the Gideons and, and the encouragement of them as they have speakers come. And I told John every time he says that, I said, Well, John. We are on the same team. We have the same goal. We want to promote the same book and see the same Savior honored, glorified. So we work together and we're glad to work together. We want to continue to do that because we're on the same team. Now today, uh, after seeing the conflict that can exist in the church and the cooperation that should exist in the members, we come to a third section and I just simply called it challenges. Let me read that to you and then we will try to make some understanding of the text and perhaps an application to us. Verse 14 says, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. I instruct people at times um, when we talk about having a quiet time, especially if it's a new person that has not 
has not been doing that for a long time. I instruct them to get a, a pad, a pencil, and a paper, and a pad, scratch pad, or, or a legal pad, or something. And when they're reading the Bible, to ask questions of the text. For example, if you're reading verses, you will add, ask questions like, what does this passage tell me about God? Or what does this passage tell me about man? Or what kind of sin does this verse counsel me to be to take care of? Let me just get this thing off and remind you of it. What kind of sin does this verse uh, counsel me to, to examine? Or what kind of action should be taken by this verse? What do I need to avoid? What do I need to pursue? What do I need to learn? What kind of activity or am I cautioned against? What kind of selfish motives or good motives should I have or not have? You see what I'm saying? Ask questions of the text. Well, this question, this text here, uh, I've asked a couple of questions. The first question I ask in the text is, what is the main subject in that verse? Let me read it again. Uh, Paul writes and says, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. I think the subject there is very clearly stated as being good deeds. That's something that's important and something that, uh, is necessary and something that the scripture talks a lot about about good deeds the word good there uh, carries the idea of good in appearance uh, good in essence good in quality good in performance it's a it's a kind of deed that is um it points to the lord that that uh, you can see that and you're not trying to draw attention. In fact, we're going to look at that in a minute. Uh, we're not trying to draw attention to ourselves. We're not, we're not putting our name on a list in the back of the bulletin as that we have donated this or given this to the church and want recognition for it. Uh, the, the deeds that we want to do are deeds that just point to the Savior and draw him and honor him. And so this is, this is, uh, kind of the word that he's using here, uh, the word good deeds or good works or good tasks or good things like that. So the passage is about that. It's, it's, it's encouraging us to do that. And when you look at that in the text and you see that, the questions begin to arise in your mind. Um, what do these good deeds look like? How are they found? And I began to do that that research, and I was astounded at how many times the Bible talks about good deeds and good works. And I'm going to just give you maybe uh, five or 10, 15 minutes of some illustrations of the use of the word good. Um, and one of the places that we find that Jesus using a lot is in the Gospels. And uh, the word good, I don't want you to misunderstand this. It sounds sort of mystical in a way, but the word good is almost always or frequently used in contrast to what is not good. Um, the word good, speaking of that which is righteous, that which exalts the Lord, that which points to him is frequently used in contrast with that which is not exalting the Lord, is not good does not point to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you may not, you may not, you may not be able to put what is good and what is not good side by side and look at it necessarily 
simply from an ethical standpoint, because people do good things, but they do them for wrong motives. And it's hard sometimes to discern which is better and which is right. But the scripture is very clear on that. And I'm going to give you some illustrations and just read them and just think about that and think about these good things, particularly in relationship to your life and your walk with the Lord. Um, I, in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about good fruit, uh, which is requirement and is in, in contrast to that which we would say is not good fruit. Matthew 3.10, and you'll be familiar with these verses, and you'll probably mentally be able to place them in some kind of context. But the, the uh, Matthew 3.10, the Bible talks about the ax has already been laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, um, just not talking about the life and the activities that we have, God is saying the fruit that is not good, that does not exalt the Lord, is worthless fruit and is something that uh, can be cut out or laid aside, perhaps. I think of um, in John 15, we have the passage in which the, the Lord gave the illustration of the fruit and the vine, vine and the branches and stuff like that. And the gardener uh, there and the gardener prunes the branches to make them more fruitful, fruitful, which is what we're talking about. And the ones that are not bearing fruit, they cut them off and burn them, just off the side. That's kind of a, a good illustration for us as we're talking about our lives and the fruitfulness of our lives and how we want to be um, fruitful. I mentioned that we can have fruit that does not, is not really good, but it may look good. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, which is a verse that probably we all should memorize. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works or good deeds and not glorify you, but glorify your Father in heaven. And, and uh, that's kind of a lesson that what we do, I think, and I don't know how honestly to really put that effectively into real practice, except to just Try to be aware of the fact that I want what I do and what I give and how I live to glorify Jesus Christ and honor him. Now, I say I want that, but to be honest with you again, many times what I'm doing is what I want to do because I want to do it. It's just where I am. Just, and, and that doesn't glorify the Lord. It just it shows how shallow I am and how easy I am laid aside in seeking to put the Lord Jesus Christ first. I'm not the model sometimes that I should be, and uh, it's very important, and I just want to be transparent with you. It's good to be transparent. One of the things that uh, I think as pastor I want to be, and I think that you as parents want to be, is to be transparent with your kids. And when you blow it and you do bad things, that's not the end of the world. In fact, it can be a step in the right direction because you can tell them, you can say, look, what I just did was a, was a flesh. It was not... It was not right. It's not. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I'm asking you to forgive me for that, and uh, I, I just really want to do better. And you can help me remember those things. If you do that, it shows your kids that you're transparent. 
It shows your children that there's weakness there, that you are struggling just like you know they're struggling. And when they can see that, it only goes a long way. It was not only the kids, but with the people at work. Go on, you do something you shouldn't do. Do it, don't say something. So here is this passage here that we're talking about glorifying your Father who is in heaven. And uh, we want to do that and rather than having it glorify us. Matthew 7, another passage dealing with good fruit. Um, the writer said, Jesus talking about says, every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. Now, this is a, this is a, this is something that is it's easy for us to judge people, and we can't always judge motives. But we can. The Bible tells us that people talk about being fruit inspectors. But the Bible says that the byproduct of your life will point to the direction of your life, and what comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. It really does. And what you what comes out of your mouth is what you obsessed with what you talk about is where your heart is and so the good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit a good tree cannot produce bad fruit that's what the lord said that's true nor can a bad tree produce good fruit now i want my life to produce good fruit and i'm sure you do too but the fact is that the fruit's going to reveal the heart isn't it that's just very clear and uh, the heart, you know, uh, we, we read in, in Romans about renewing the mind. We go, we take our mind and, and it gets stale and tired and self-centered. And we get up in the morning and we are bitter and everything. We need to take our heart and our mind to God's word and wash it in the word and let the spirit of God take that and cleanse us. We renew our mind. We need to do that so that, that our, our hearts produce fruit that is good rather than stale and do you understand what I'm saying? Um, that is that is covered with our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our self-seeking purposes. We want our lives to conform more fully, more completely to God's word and God's truth. And we can do that, we can do that. We can't make that heart transformation, but we can bring it to the fountain, to the water, the one who has the the, the life and the water. And we can have it washed and cleansed by that word. And that's very important. Very important we do that every day. And so here's this um, this passage where he's talking about good fruit and bad fruit, good trees and bad trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, he says, is cut down, it's thrown into the fire. So then Jesus says, You will know them, and he uses the plural, you will know them by their fruits by the byproduct of their lives. He's talking about leaders now, Jewish leaders and those in the, in the church that are supposed to be leaders, those in Israel that are supposed to be leaders. You will know them by the byproduct of their lives, what, what, what their passions are. One of the passages that speak, really speaks to me is when Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians all the difficulties and challenges of his life and being suffered and suffering and going to shipwreck and being beaten and whipped and prison and stuff. And then the climax at all, he says, but on top of all that is the major concern he has for all the churches. And that's a heavy burden. And that's a burden that, that I desire that the Lord would give me a passion that I ought to have, a passion for people, a passion for his work, a passion for the church, a passion for things that really matter. Not a passion, I mean, I'm not being critical. I, I like Alabama football, but that's not a passion that's worthy of being a passion for. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's really, 
Um, it's really, and the Lord is the one that has to do that. So um, Jesus uh, then tells us here in this passage, as he explains these things to his, his disciples, he explains parables to them. He, he describes it to them. Why does he do that? Why does he explain it to them? Well, the parables that he gives many times are given publicly, but there's a message for the public, but there's also a, a major focus to his followers, to his disciples. In other words, he's not giving everything out. He's not throwing uh, pearls, as it were, before swine. He's giving, he's giving uh, truth to the people, but then there are disciples who come to him privately and ask, and so then he expounds and opens up the meeting. And why does he do that? It's because the meeting is important. It's because it's necessary for them to know that. And the fact that they didn't understand it and came to him is a good thing because it means that we're listening and we're willing to receive these things. So in this passage in Matthew 13, he says, and the one who, to whom the seed is sown, he's talking about the parable of the sower. Uh, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's pretty involved, but it's a good parable because there you have four soils to represent four kinds of hearts. And you have the, the gospel there. So the seed that is sown, which represents the good seed, the good message, the good word that's given out. And you have the response of the different hearts, which pictures the response of people to the gospel. And so Jesus says, the one on whom the good seed, the seed is sown on the good soil, that is, and that's our word, good. This is the man who hears the word and understands it, and who indeed bears fruit. And brings forth some a hundred fold and some sixty and some thirty. So just notice this, because this is an application to us. We receive the gospel, we understand the message, we believe the message. Does it bear fruit in our lives? Is there fruit coming forth from our lives? Because in this passage here, where he has the weed soil, the weed soil represents the weeds represent blessings of wealth and things that are attractive that we like uh detours which i struggle with all the time like the detours of the world and the things of the world these detours can take over your life or my life and leave your life that you you believe the gospel but there's no fruit in your life you understand what i'm saying and fruit's important and so uh and the fruit is not always we talk about it being converse but it's not always converse it can be joy it can be concern for people, it can be concerned for your own walk. That's a, that's a very important. That was what was Nebuchadnezzar's situation in Daniel four. Nebuchadnezzar reached a point where he uh, was so impressed with the God of the, of the Hebrew people that he pulled together his his uh, um, magi, those that were in charge of keeping the records in the libraries. They kept extensive records. He called them together one Saturday morning. He sat down and he said, "I want to tell you how I was saved." And he goes through that in Daniel chapter four because his heart had been changed and he wanted to be glorified God rather than exalting himself, which is what he'd been doing all his life. It's, the gospel makes a change, and that's fruit. That's fruit. That's important fruit. So how does it how does it change your heart? How does it change my heart? How does it change our life? What kind of fruit is there? Jesus presented another parable, verse 24, back to Matthew 13. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seal in his seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came 
and he sowed tares among the wheat and went away. Now he's, he talked about that. That goes out. People hear it. Some think it's interesting. Some comment. Some talk about it behind the back. Others do other things. Some of them take that notebook, close it, they get ready to go home or whatever. But there are a few that think about that and are real interested, and they come to him. And uh, so it says in Matthew 13, 36, then he left the crowds and went to the house and his disciples came to him and said, could you explain to us the parable of the tares? So what Jesus had said before was beginning to stir in the hearts of some to bear the fruit that the Lord wants to create inquiry and research and study to know how what he's saying so that we can make that application to our lives. And that's what they were saying there. Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said to them, and listen to this explanation. It's so clear and it's very profound. He says this, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's very clear. The one who gives out the message, gives out the word, gives out the truth is the son of man. That's Jesus. And that son of man is the most common self-declared uh, name that Jesus used for himself in the scripture. It's called the son of man, the son of man, the son of man, over and over and over again. So it's the son of man. He's the one that sows the good seed. The field there represents the world. That's what he says. And he goes on to say, and for the, the good seed, I'm sorry, the field is the world and the good seed. These are the sons of the kingdom. So he's talking about the field. He's talking about the seed being sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil ones. So you've got the world. You've got some people that are good seed that are sons of the kingdom. And other people that are sons of the evil one, they're called tares. And you've got the picture of, of the sower sowing two kinds of seed, or one kind of seed, somebody else comes back and sows tares that night. So it, it, while he's sleeping. So there's a picture. You've got the confusion there in this picture of two kinds of, of seed that are beginning to sprout. And so Jesus is explaining it to them. The tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So now you've got a picture of a spiritual battle that's taking place here in the world. And you've got some people that are sons of the kingdom and some people that are sons of the evil one. The devil is the one that's come to create this kind of confusion there among these people. And uh, then he says, and the harvest, that is when these, these things are reaped and they begin to, to sprout, is the end of the age. Well, that, that should say something to us. And that is that we do know that there is a day of reckoning coming. We know that. That's, that's absolutely factual. Those that are listening on the internet need to know that there is a day which everybody's going to come and stand before the Lord. You can either come before him now or you can wait and that day is going to be, you won't have any protection or anything when you stand before him. That's a very serious thought. And so here's the devil and the harvest is at the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. And so just as the, the pears are gathered up and burned with fire, they're thrown to the fire and burned, so it will be at the end of the age, the son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who have committed lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. That place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, the picture there is just that we want to be, we want to seek the Lord and seek to know him and to follow him and let him change our hearts and our lives to be good seed, to be those that are the sons of the kingdom. Um, Romans. I'm getting near the getting point. Anyway, Romans chapter two, um, which is a very, very stern 
reminder to us, talks about good seed and how, how the good seed reflects to us the genuineness of our salvation. Romans chapter 2, um, Paul says, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? Now, just notice the words that if you're taking notes or if you're writing your quiet time and you're writing questions, you might write down something like, what does he mean to think lightly of the riches of his kindness? Do you think it lightly? Is that something that you think? You know what? Seriously, we we can, uh, and, and I have, I'm, I know I'm guilty of that at times, of treading on his grace, of taking his grace for granted. And, and thinking that he owes me grace. He does not owe me grace. The, the, one, the one area which you could say if justice were being served would be that I would be judged and condemned and confined to hell. But if he comes and he explains the gospel and he says that I can be saved by grace through faith, then that is the overpouring abundance of his mercy and his grace to me and to you. And we are we are very blessed by that. He doesn't know it to us. And sometimes we something terrible might happen, like it did with Jesus and the, the power that fell on people and killed them. And we'll say, Well, how could that how could the Lord allow that tower to fall on those innocent people and kill them? Or how can the Lord allow this 9-11 and these towers to uh, fall and kill thousands of people? How can the Lord do that? Uh, and the answer is God's just. And every single person that died is a person that's a sinner. And it's, it's not an extreme for a person, a sinner, to be judged. The, the difference is, of course, that there are some that died that are those who belong to the Savior. And when they die, they're going to be with the Lord. With him. So it's mercy. God is good to us. He is good to us. He's very merciful and very, very patient. So the passage here in Romans says, Do not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and his tolerance and patience, and not knowing that the kindness of God should lead you to repentance. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is patient. He really is. And that mercy and that graciousness and that patience should speak to us. And I'll tell you, beloved, um, I, I know what it means to, to take his grace for granted and, and be slow to repent and be slow to recognize things like this. And it's a serious thing. And you know, when you think about it, you get older, you think about these things, Lord. When you go into the surgery, you think about these things and, and you're saying, Lord, I just want my, my slate to be clean. I want my life to be to examine and glorify the Lord. And I do, and I know you do too. But these kinds of things make us examine that. When you examine that, um, he goes on to talk about a day that you, you give an account. Uh, story, we, uh, let's see how he works it. He says, but because of the stubborn and stubbornness and unrepentance, Heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And that's the sermon talk too. Storing up wrath of, of making God and, and building up a, a storehouse of wrath against me because of my stubborn repentance, my stubborn refusal to come to him, to listen to him, and to seek his face. That's always a good thing. I always, one of the things I counsel people about, it's not that my counsel is better than anybody else's, but I talk to people sometimes and I encourage them to get their Bible and to read it. And to really read it for the purpose of applying it, of, of seeing what it says. Because the, the Lord can take that, the Holy Spirit can take that and go in our hearts and turn us to, to Jesus Christ and to seek Him. It isn't just the process 
of reading something. It is what the reading, the content can be can do in our lives and the Spirit takes it and uses it in our hearts and lives. We were talking the other day at the, at the Bible study at the Ramble, and we were talking about the fact that, that Jesus is really the one that we love and we want to serve and we want to follow him. And that's true. And I struggle with that. I want to put it first. I don't always put it first. In fact, I think most of the time I put myself first. And I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just saying that, that uh, we have feet in play. And we know what it's like to, to be self-centered. You see what I'm saying? And I don't want to do that. And I really don't. So I ask the Lord to help us with that, help me with that. So here he says, God will render to each person according to his, here it is, deeds. This is, a, this is, we're talking about good works. God is going to render to every person according to his deeds. Now you say, well, I, I thought that we were, that our judgment uh, was laid on Christ and that he uh, bore our sin. And so we are saved by grace through faith. Well, we are saved by grace through faith. But this passage is telling us that the day is going to come when our lives are going to be examined for their deeds. And if we're really saved, your deeds are going to show it. And if you're not saved, your deeds are going to show it. In other words, what he's saying here is that the works in your life will confirm whether you're genuine and you're a believer or whether you are not. Your works are going to confirm that. And that's why he said each person according to his deeds and he goes on to explain that to those by perseverance, what's perseverance? Steadfastness, persistence. To those by perseverance in doing good, here's our word, this is the word, that the person that, that is doing, the, doing his life, it's not just that he does a few good things, it's that his life is summarized as a person who is a good, who is doing the things that God wants him to do. You do it perfectly? Absolutely not. That bothers me. I'm not even close, but I have a good shepherd. Who watches over my life and helps these things to come to pass. You see what I'm saying? And so he says, each person according to his deeds, uh, God will render each person according to his deeds to so those who, by perseverance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. So these things are the things that you can't do to earn, but you're doing those things to show that you are seeking to be pleasing to the Lord and honoring Him with your heart and your life. And that's why you want to be in the scriptures. That's why you want to read the scriptures because the scriptures are there to point you to the Lord and to open your heart. He goes on to say, verse 8, but those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress and for every soul of man who does evil. And there is a contrast to the good who does evil. For the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So please get this understanding. We're not saying that you're saved by your works, but we are saying that if you're saved, your works will show up or will demonstrate. That's very important. One more passage there uh, in 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17 talks about all scripture is inspired of God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, <clears throat> and that is a term that's taken from the Old Testament to speak of the prophet, those who are ministers, those who are, are prophets, those who are proclaimers of God's truth. The truth, God's word is given for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So the scriptures are there. To equip us, to straighten us out, to encourage us so that we can be practicing and following and doing good works. Your life 
There's going to be a display of good works which confirms your salvation or a display of bad works. Two kinds of, the good kinds of summarizing works in two areas. Many, many works, many things we do, they can be gathered into one or two groups. As I, as I read this one, either they are works that confirm that we know the Lord or they are works that, that do not. And the ones that do not are not ones that are going to help us. But those deeds will show us that we are, we are, we need to repent. We need to take you seriously. That's a, that's a lot, isn't it? I mean, that is a lot. That's an awful lot. So that's important. All right, now that's the, the, the uh, I call it the subject of the text. Let me just give you quickly the stress of the text. And uh, then we'll, we'll finish this passage. Now, I know I'm moving slow, but I think it's really, really important. Um, let me read the text once again. Uh, he says, our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. I think the stress of the text is, uh, is warning us and warning the disciples of the importance of good fruit. I think that that is the, the real stress that he's saying. Uh, he talks about making the good tree the tree good and the fruit good, or the bad tree bad and the fruit bad. In other words, our life will be identified with the kind of fruit that comes out of it. And that's we, that's what we're talking about. Uh, the, he, he goes on to refer to the, the religious leaders and the leaders that are bad, and he calls them a brood of vipers, snakes. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? You're evil, yourself is selfish, self-centered, destructive. How can you being evil speak what is good? Well, of course, you can read poems and things like that and all read scripture that seems to be good. But he's not just saying that you speak something that is good, but he's talking about the communication from your heart and your life. That you can say and speak. That's what the scripture talks about in First Corinthians, that no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit of God. And so here is this, this text here to telling these Brood of vipers, that you, how can you speak evil? Uh, you being evil, can you, how can you speak what is good? You can't. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. That's a, that's a very important principle. We've talked about it. The mouth reveals what's in the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of the evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you, you ready for this? It's a heavy verse. <laughs> I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. Every careless word. Now, I know we tease Debbie about talking a lot, but I want you to know something. I'm worse. Well, I'm all the time. Sure. I'm talking, talking, talking. I do it at work from morning to night. Um, people that know me know that. There's a lot of careless words that are thrown out of its mouth. And they're not all Christ honoring. And he, he's very clear about this. It's not like he's, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say now, um, you know, that the, some of the casual words that you have said, you're going to hear again. He doesn't say that. He says, every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. That's pretty serious. That's, that's pretty, pretty serious. By your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. And it's, it's talking about the motive as, as well and what we say and what we intend to say and what we want to do. But words can really cut people down and destroy them and do great damage. So you need to be careful what comes out of that mouth. 
that the Bible talks, James talks about the tongue being a small, uh, I forget now exactly, it's a small member of the body, but it boasts great things. And uh, it is like a fire, uh, like a spark in a fire. The little tiny spark can start a great fire. The tongue, a little tiny instrument can spark a great, do a great deal of damage and can destroy things. So watch your mouth. That's the, that's the hardest part of the body to control. It really is because it just functions. It runs. It runs all the time. Not, not only mine, but yours too. It does that. You just have to be careful with it. And so that's what you see every careless word we will give an account. So the issue here, and I'm done with the passage. The issue here is fruitfulness. And the fruitfulness, he, he goes on to say there in that passage to, um, to, uh, to meet, we're teaching them to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. In other words, we want to, to stress the importance of good fruit. We want to stress the importance of having good fruit. Uh, stress the importance of meeting the needs that are important. Not just financial needs, but other needs as well. It can be what you say and other things. But to to in the church, we need to take that seriously. We should teach it. We should practice it. We, we should look for it. We should seek it. Uh, it's being fruitful is an essential part of our life. Uh, and our life can be divided in between two groups of actions. Uh, if we are saved, we'll have good fruit as well as just fruit. But if we're not saved, and everything in there, as the Bible talks about the end, it talks about being judged by our deeds, everything is there, it's self-centered and self-motivated, it's not glorifying Christ. And so we want to be careful about that. We want our lives to honor do that. Yes, Dave. I just have a question. Yes. You know, if, if God is working with you in new years, um, <clears throat> I'm not saying everything that comes to your mind to say. And you suppress yourself and you don't say it. Okay. So that word did not come out, or that saying something to somebody that was not God pleasing did not come out. Are we still judged for the ones that come in our mind that we don't let out? I, I know the Bible says what a man thinks in his heart, so maybe. Well, but I don't I don't you know. know that there's I, I don't I tell you why I don't need to worry about that. There's enough that comes out of my mouth that I got to worry about. <laughs> But I'm trying to suppress some of that. Yeah, okay. so, yeah, I think it's a good I mean, idea. You know, if I'm going to give it yeah. advice, I might as well say it. You know? I, do, I think you're right. And, and, I mean, you can't do that. I don't want to say, see, I, the things come in my mind because that's just your, 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 Keeping right. in because then you, you kind of like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know. Well, part of the fruit of the spirit is self control. <clears throat> yes, yeah, so if you're trying to practice self control, yeah. Yeah. surely you're judged for that. And, and not saying what you want to say requires sometimes a lot of self control. Debbie, you want to close us in prayer? <clears throat> Our Father in heaven. Um, I thank you for our church service this morning. Thank you for everyone who came and the ones that came online too. We love um, sharing your word with as many people as possible. And Lord, this does hit close to home. A lot of us, we like to joke around and say things, Lord, and sometimes it gets just a little bit too far and it's not even funny anymore. And we try to hold, we try to 
learn, Lord, from your word to, to hold things back. And um, and I do thank you, Lord, for bringing it to our attention that that is not a good fruit when we say things that, that hurt people or are just the borderline of hurting somebody, and we know that. Yeah. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to just practice self-control and to live like you would, Lord, and, and just um, not let our mouths run away with us. And I just thank you, Lord, for um, working with us each day and, and being our, our shepherd, Lord, and taking care of us and also um, preparing us for your kingdom. I thank you for this beautiful day. And I pray that you'll all go home safely.